Hello, my preciouses. How you doing? This is Kirk, and this is another episode of Delirious. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I gave that a go. Uh, hey, welcome to another episode of Delirious. This is a special Halloween episode, and today we're talking to Elizabeth Adams. Elizabeth is the Associate Vice President for Undergraduate Studies at Cal State Northridge, and she's a lecturer in folklore and anthropology. Elizabeth studies popular culture, gender, sexuality, festival, material culture, and narrative. She's also particularly interested in the ways in which tourist sites use folklore and other cultural markers to engage with visitors. So we had a blast talking about the origins of Halloween, about festivals and rituals like trick-or-treating and costuming. We delve into witchcraft. We even get into zombies and corpses. Um, but when it all boils down, it's really more of a conversation about power and control in society and people's insecurities. So I think you're really going to like this. It's a really cool history lesson in folklore from around the world. Enjoy this Halloween chat with Elizabeth Adams. Hello. Elizabeth. How are you? I'm great. Are you, are you at home? Yes. I love you got your fish tank in the background there. My snake tank. Oh, you got a, oh my gosh, that's right. You have a snake. Yep. Wait, what kind of snake do you have? The corn snake. Oh, so corns, they're really beautiful, aren't they? Like, like Yeah, they are. I would show him to you, but he just ate last night, and you don't want to pick them up right after they eat because they'll poop on you. Uh, what's his name? Danger Noodle. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Danger Noodle. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah. You're looking mountain manny. I'm looking like you mean like in terms of the hair and whatnot and the beard. I don't think I've seen you with the beard before. Oh yeah, this is my this is my uh, my quarantine my 2020 beard. Now I think I'm yeah it. yeah yeah. No, I mean I think we're all it's uh, it's it's a new hair world for everyone. Yeah, it is. I think I might I might um, go back to to clean shaven sometime in the new year. Although I don't know, I seem to like it. And for, with the hair, um, it yeah, just, no, it's. It creates this whole other sort of character. In fact, um, mm -hmm. I was, I kind of, you know, puffed out my hair the other night and my daughter, my 16 year old daughter, Elsa said, you got kind of like a creepy Bob Ross vibe going there. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, you know, I, I could see it. I could yeah. see it, but you know, that's what 16 year old daughters are for. <laughs> that's actually, and then I, that's what I, well, I took that, that hint and that suggestion and that's what i was for halloween i did for I halloween did perfect I, mean, I, I created a little video i'll send it to you oh yeah please a little yeah. bob ross video um well i am super i'm super i am wicked excited for this wicked excited chat. you don't like that terminology do you that new england it's just it's just very regional but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> um I'm super pumped to chat a little, a little folklore, a little Halloween folklore. Halloween folklore, with yeah. And I'm, I, I was doing a little bit of research on my own, but I'm, I'm very interested to hear what, what you would want to talk about. But first, 
maybe just to set it up, I know, I, I don't know, I, I don't think I know that much about your, your background in folklore and anthropology. I know you're a, a professor of anthropology and folklore at, at Cal State Northridge, uh, but can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So like most people who go into folklore, it's not like you grow up thinking, I'm going to be a folklorist. Um, <laughs> you did it? So I, no, it's weird. And, and, and I, I said that actually when I first got my first administrative job was as an associate dean. And I said, you know, as a little girl, I always wanted to be an associate dean. <laughs> right. um, but uh, yeah, so I have a bachelor's in history um, and, uh, um, and uh, then decided that I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I went and got the master's in English. Um, and it was right in the middle of um, the sort of postmodern theory boom in uh, English. And so all of a sudden English, which I'd always liked, I hated. Huh. Um, and, uh, and I happened to take a course from, from a faculty member who was a, a Celtic folklorist. And I was like, this, this is, this, this is, is it? I, this, this right here. Why um, did you like, so, why was that it? Why was that, why did that click for you? It, because it just, it, it sort of, it pulled together all the threads, right? It's, it's, it, you know, I've always been interested in why people believe what they believe. Mm -hmm. I've always been interested in the stories that we tell about ourselves and our pasts. Um, we, you know, it was why I was interested in history, you know, I'm also interested in stuff we make up, right? So, um, and so it was just, it was all there. And, you know, as a kid, I was, I was, a, a, you know, a, a major uh, myth geek. I would just oh. read um, uh, Greek myths and, and knew all the characters and, you know. Who's you your favorite go. Greek? What is your favorite Greek myth? Oh, uh, Athena jumping out of Zeus's head. Oh my God! Um, yeah, I, don't, I don't. I'm not sure. I know that. I should know this. Shouldn't? Yeah. I? So, so Athena, who's probably the most powerful of the women uh, goddesses uh, in in the Greek and Roman pantheon, um, uh, has no mother. Um, uh, it, he. Zeus essentially opens his head up and she jumps out fully formed. <laughs> a complete adult woman came out of his head, um, which I really like because it's like she's this whole thing that's different from her father and yet, you know, of him and, and, and then she's on top of all of that, she's the, the goddess of wisdom. So, um, oh, awesome. So she's like a real, she is one of the top. Feet. oh yeah oh, yeah no you don't you don't you don't mess with athena no um, is it she that's wow that's a well that is a great story yeah um, a great myth to have as your favorite unbelievable so you yeah. were a kid you loved all these myths and then loved loved all that stuff and so you know so then I, I went and talked to this faculty member and i said you know this is really cool and she said well you know you actually can do graduate work in it and i was like oh really okay wow. and so at, at the time there were three programs in the country. Hmm. It's an interesting field, actually, because uh, folklorists or folklore predates anthropology as a field. Um, it was it was really created in the early part, uh, or really the late part of the 18th century, where the anthropology doesn't sort of become a thing until um, the mid part of the, the uh, 19th century. So um, they're obviously intertwined, but uh, 
Do you know where those three programs were when at the time? Yeah, yeah. So there was there was the University of Pennsylvania. Oh, get out. Yeah. My alma mater, my graduate alma mater. Why did I not do a folklore program? I know, right? It was a great program. Uh, Indiana University and UCLA. And so oh, wow. um, I, uh, uh, Indiana is the oldest one and has always been the largest one. It's interesting. Um, and that's, you know, we can talk a little bit about that. Folklore as a... Um, as an area of interest doesn't occur everywhere. Um, so you, you, find, you find that people who are in um, uh, sort of colonial or urban areas that are dominant uh, don't actually study it much. And then areas where there's a little more, I'm not sure that we belong here. And what do, you know, who are we? That's where you start seeing uh, it's, uh, it, it become a much more uh, prominent hmm. um, field. Another place that actually has a big folklore program is uh, the Memorial University of Newfoundland. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, so it's always been a big, big uh, area of study in, in that part of Canada. Um, so anyway, I did uh, my MA and PhD at UCLA in folklore and mythology um, and cool. uh, um, studied, you know, all, as much of it as I could get hold of. So I did courses in myth, folk belief, folk narrative, festival, music, mm. um, and I uh, was lucky enough to, to hook on it at CSUN and, and uh, actually get to teach it for a while. So. Yeah, so I know, and then I was doing a little bit of research. I know that you, I think, well, at least you were in the past, part of this Western States Folklore Society. You yeah. still part of that? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a regional, uh, it's a regional uh, uh, professional organization. I'm also have been uh, a member of the American Folklore Society for uh, a long time. So, you know, those are the, you know, your academic conferences where everybody gets together. The uh, uh, Wusifus, which is what we call uh, the Western States one, um, tends to be, uh, because it's smaller, it tends to be more fun and a little more out there than than wow. AFS which is a little more like you know a regular academic conference well that makes sense to me considering when I was researching a little bit on that website I saw there was an article maybe this was from like 10 12 years ago is so kind of dated but that you I this must have been you that wrote this and it was a it was called all those mounds of shrimp Las Vegas buffets considered I would love to hear about it. before we talk Halloween folklore. Yeah, I'm, sure. Yeah, yeah. Got the well, so I, a big, a big part of my dissertation and research was on on the use of folklore in Las Vegas, uh -huh. um, and specifically uh, the way in which. Um, and so I did. I was working on my research in the mid '90s, basically, um, and that was when all of the um, the big themed casino hotels started being created. Right. And the, the, the themes were playing with all kinds of, of what I might call folklore tropes, right? So they were playing with stories, they were playing with costume, mm -hmm. they're playing with food, um, they were playing with festival. Um, and so, you know, uh, weddings obviously is another, wedding rituals is another 
kind of folklore. Um, so, it, you know, any creative output of culture can be folklore, but then it also can be co-opted. And so what I was really looking at was the ways in which Las Vegas was co-opting the folklore to get people to behave in particular ways. So if they are co-opting the uh, this folklore around food and these the feast of all of this uh, mound yep. of shrimp, I can only right, right. where they're trying to encourage. Mm -hmm. Well, so there's a there's a very prominent theory in folklore that that festivals, so stuff like Mardi Gras and Carnival, is is time out of time. And what that means is that you there's this sort of defined period where you can behave badly. <laughs> um, and then when the when that period's over, and Halloween actually is is a time out of time. We can when we get to Halloween oh, we right. talk about that. But um, but you, you can behave badly. You can only behave badly in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And then when the time is over, so with Mardi Gras and Carnival, it's at Lent starts. Um, then you have to go back to behaving like you're supposed to. And, you know, it's, it's the world turned upside down. The king is the fool. The fool is the king, that kind of thing. Mm. So what I have posited is that Vegas takes that and, and turns it into place out of place. In other words, you could go to Vegas. So what happens in Vegas? Could, yeah, exactly. And you can behave badly while you're there. Um, and then uh, when you get home, you have to go back to your regular life. And so part, part of festival is always about excess consumption, always, um, because it's sort of this, you know, here's this time where you, can, you, you know, you've got to just go crazy. And so the, the buffets play into that, right? Because what they're, what they're doing, especially Vegas buffets, is that they sort of have just this abundance of what I refer to as American nice food, right? So it's, it's, you know, prime rib and crab legs and, you know, and then you, and, and it's all just arrayed everywhere. And then you, you can just, you know, have as much as, as you much want. As you um, and then, so. and, and it doesn't have to have any coherence and, um, and, but it makes you feel like you're in a place that's different than your normal, uh, your normal context and that means that you can you know it, it indulge and one of the funnier things to me about buffets if you ever go to a vegas buffet they almost always have ribs yeah and people to put together the grossest plates i mean there's just they just you know they just everything they like they put on the plate together and often they crown yeah. it with just a rib crown it with a rib and yeah. so you'll see people walking around and it's like you got pizza and mashed potatoes and chow mein and a rib don't 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 eat that yeah it's that's that's unbelievable well yeah because yeah you're you're it's a different kind of experience you don't get that at home typically although i will say i make some pretty good buffets at home and but i've never thrown a rib on top of it yeah no just yeah <laughs> amazing well that's really um so that that point about halloween then being this time out of time is really interesting too and um so tell me a little bit about that yeah, so Halloween um, is is derived from a, a Celtic um, right. holiday. Is that how you pronounce it? Samhain. Yes, it's 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 spelled S A M H A I N, but it's pronounced Samhain. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, uh, and it's one of the, uh, so when you think about an agricultural economy, um, uh, and especially one in the Northern hemisphere, there's definitely a, a, a year cycle that is pretty easily predictable. Sure. Um, you know, I live in Southern California where we have two seasons, hot and a little rainy. Mm. And there's fire in there too, but you know, you live in New England where there are actually seasons. And so, um, and, and it's that, you know, Ireland and Scotland and, and Cornwall and Wales are all more uh, of that type. And so um, one of the things that um, happens in those kinds of places is that there are um, markers at particular points in the year uh, that have to do with a couple of things. One is the, the, the length of the day, right? Yep. Um, another is, uh, you know, when is the harvest? Um, and then, you know, you, so you've got, you've got, so the shortest day of the year is an important day, the longest day of the year is an important day, and then the two days, the equinoxes, which are in between, are also important. Why are those equinoxes important? Because they're when, so whether it's the longest day or the shortest day or the middle, you, you, you've got, you're seeing a transition from one thing to the other. Right? Okay. Yeah. So... Um, I mean, and, and, and so the, the autumnal equinox, which usually happens in late October, um, is when you're moving from harvest and somewhat plenty to dead winter, mm -hmm. you can't really do anything. Um, and, and, and any transition, um, is a time of both power and fright, right? Because you don't, but well, it's powerful in the sense that, you know, the, the world has sort of been in this place and now all of a sudden it's gonna be in a different place, right? So we've been in this sort of, uh, fall season and it you know and now we're going into the depth of winter and so it's it that that transition moment anthropologist folklore is called the liminal moment mm. um is the moment in between where it's neither one thing nor the other right it's not fall anymore but it's not winter anymore either or i mean it hasn't winter hasn't started it, parallel it to like a rite of passage, right? So there's always a liminal moment in the rite of passage where um, uh, you're, the, the, the people who are moving through the rite of passage have moved out of their old um, status and have not yet moved into their new status, right? Mm -hmm. So the easiest one to, to think about is the wedding, right? So as you, as you sort of, everybody walks, you walk down the aisle, and you're standing in front of the minister or whomever, and they say, okay, um, is there anybody who has an objection to this marriage? And so there's this moment where, and you know, soap operas know how to play with this. There's this moment where you go, is anybody gonna say anything? And I mean, you know, in a regular wedding, it never happens, but you know, it's still a, it's still a moment of tension and power. And then once you get over that, hump as it were then now you're married um and so that's you know but but to go from 
a, a time, a harvest time of plenty into a, a time of the year that's essentially dormant. It's cold, it's dead, you can't plant, you can't, you know, when you're thinking about an agricultural context, it's you're moving from what you worked all year for into a time when you can't do anything. And that's, that's yeah. scary. That, that, that yeah. transitional moment is scary. Contrast it to, to May Day, right? Which is, an, yeah. which is the other equinox, mm -hmm. right? Which is all about growth and birth and, you know, and people dancing around giant phalluses. And, you know, <laughs> because you're moving into summer, which is the time of plenty. Right. Okay. Now, I never put two and two together that folks were dancing around giant phalluses on May Day because it was the symbol of birth and and, and, and fertility and yes. fertility. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So so, but but Halloween is the opposite, right? It's the time when we've we, we, we've gotten through all of that. Now we're gonna now now the world's gonna die and need to be reborn. No phalluses. For no phalluses. No phalluses. No. Instead, what you have is. Uh, you know, the things we worry about when it's dark, right? Um, and, and, you know, what things we worry about when it's dark is, is very much culturally uh, grounded, um, but there are definitely um, uh, sort of parallels that you'll find across uh, different cultures. So, you know, we worry about the dead, especially the recent dead. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, we worry about um, uh, the, the dead stuff too, right? So you think about, um, you know, scarecrows and that uh -huh. kind of thing, uh -huh. those, those are well, also- is, Well, that's the dead. Um, that's that's the, the dead, dead. yeah, yeah. Okay. We're worried about their spirits, but also their their corpses. Yes, yeah, we're yeah, no, the whole, we're we're worried about the whole thing, right? Whole um, thing. And um, and we are aware in a in a sort of visceral way that you know the the nights you know the darkness is longer now than it was in the summer, um, that it is colder, that it is. Um, you know, and so there, the, Halloween is this moment where you um, you have all of this tension. But what's so interesting about the way we then respond to it is when you create a festival or a celebration around the thing, then you take back some of the power, mm. right? So um, one of the big things that happens at, at Samhain is, is that there's the, there are these huge, I mean, huge fires. Um, I mean, just, I, I like to say that if, if, um, if Ireland weren't so damp, they would have burned themselves down a long time ago because they just, I mean, these fires are just massive. But what, so, but what, the, what they're designed to do is to take something that is, powerful and uncontrollable mm. and control it and harness its power so that 
as a community, you can feel like, oh yeah, no, we, we, we've got this thing. We will have fire for the rest of, you know, we'll have warmth through the rest of the season. We'll, you know, we know what we're doing in terms of how we interact with, with this, this changing uh, time. And then, you know, and then you look at other traditions. I mean, Dio de los Muertos, for example, is, you know, very much uh, a, you know, we're going to honor the dead because if we honor the dead, then they will let us be, right? (laughs) (laughs) They won't come and torment us. Right. So, okay. Now, are there any are there any myths of people who are born during this time, either Halloween or Dia de los Muertos? I asked this, Elizabeth, because I was born on that day. Oh, I didn't know that. I wonder I if there's some darkness. What if there's some dark spirits that have come into the world of this day that I was born? I'm going to say, actually, that there aren't a lot of associations with that. The, 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 you actually have the opposite. So the, often the notion is when was the person conceived, right? Oh, wow, gotcha. So you were, you were conceived during a time of plenty, mm-hmm. right? Um, whereas summer births um, are often more wrought because they were conceived during a time of darkness. Um, the, dark, the dark spirits came and-, yeah, and- right. And, and inhabited inhabited oh my gosh i have a summer bit one of my daughters is a summer baby she's pretty dark no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's not um but that being said i mean any transition so whether you know whether it's birth or death or any transition that happens at the same moment as one of these four times in the year does have power to it Right. I mean, one of the things that was super creepy about this Halloween was that it was also a blue moon. Um, and yeah, yeah. tell me more about that. So, what is how was that creepy? Because, well, a blue moon is the, the like, second full moon, moon in, yeah. in a, um, a month, and they don't happen very often. You mm-hmm. got to have, you know, the first first full moon has to be on the first, and it has to be a 31 day month, and then it so it's the last day of the month. Wow. Um, I mean, that's the expression once in a blue moon, but, but the blue moon is also thought to be very associated with, with, um, with the others. Now, how you define the others is, is varies, and, and I'm not, and now I'm not talking about dead people. I'm talking about not people, people. Okay. So, you so, so like some sort of spirits, spirit. fairies, okay. the fae, however you want to refer to it, the that 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 any any rare celestial occurrence um, is is a time when those those entities have more power than not, mm-hmm. um, and so they're already thought to be powerful uh, on uh, in Halloween anyway, Arisawan, and then you add the blue moon on top of it, and it becomes this sort of depth and there's these layers of oh wow okay yeah you don't want to be out at the crossroads you don't want to be you know um uh i was i mean i was very interested i was watching people on on saturday um i mean there there was less trick-or-treating obviously than normal Mm -hmm. because of covid but but 
what I did see was um, very large groups. I mean, much larger groups than I've seen in the past. And, you know, I, I, it could be subconscious, it could not be, um, it could be COVID, but the fact that these groups were so big suggested to me that there's this sort of, okay, this is not a time that we let vulnerable kids go anywhere without lots of them and lots of adults. Um, energy. I was, gosh, now I'm, I'm kind of bummed because I, I didn't notice anything on this blue moon Halloween because I think I was asleep by like nine. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's the, the whole aging problem, but um, so the, the other piece that I think is really interesting about Halloween is, is the, is the house visit thing, right? So yeah. the, this is, this is brought over from the Irish tradition. Um, and, and so the sort of trick or treat thing is, is, uh, you see it um, both at this transition, and then you also see it at the at the winter solstice of um, uh, teenagers essentially um, going door to door um, and threatening uh, the house in a very prescribed way. Um, it's interesting that we've actually taken it to much younger children because the, the, the tradition in Ireland, at least, is always been, you know, almost exclusively young men. And so this is, this is, you know, here, young men. I know, I know. Here we're back to this liminal thing, right? Because yeah. you, it, nobody's scared of the little girl dressed up like Belle, right? But a, 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 she's inhabited by one of those evil spirits. Right, <laughs> which could be. But it, in, you know, even in our front frontal lobes, we're aware that <laughs> a, a group of young men mm -hmm. on a night where the rules are somewhat suspended um, is not necessarily something you want to mess with. No, no, they they don't have a lot of uh, restraint. Right. Yeah. No. Their 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 frontal cortexes aren't fully formed and, and <laughs> ever <laughs> ever right. And then you know add on top of that that there's like is not some um, some uh, alcohol involved. Oh yeah. And, mm -hmm. um, and you know you you've you've invited chaos right, but it's intentional chaos, right? It's this, it's this festival thing again. Right. Right? Um, and, and the masking and the costumes are that as well. Um, it's, so here's one of the interesting things about costuming. In smaller um, social structures, right? Like in rural parts of Ireland or, you know, everybody knows everybody. So if you, it doesn't matter whether you put, put on a mask or not, they're, they're, they're still going to know who you are. Um, but what the mask does is give you some license to behave badly and let the other person pretend they don't know who you are. Mm. Um, and, you know, one of the theses of why this happens is that it's a way for the, the dominant class to continue to keep power. 
Oh, that's interesting. That it, that, mm -hmm. that it functions essentially as a steam valve, right? So you've got these young, um, <laughs> slightly poor men who don't have, they don't know what to do with their energy and they don't know what to do, you know, and they don't have any money and, you know. So, okay, on Halloween, you can go bang on everybody's door and they'll give you a ham um, as long as you take the ham and go away. The hell of a trick um, or treat, get some ham. Yeah, no, often, often actually it was a roast or a, a oh. piece of meat. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't candy. No candy. Um, and, uh, Sucks. and then, you know, tomorrow you got to go to church because it's all mm -hmm. saints day and you got to behave again, but tonight you can behave badly. A little bit um, of mischief. Right. Mm. As long as it's, as long as it's clearly defined. So, you, you know, you can't, hurt anybody but you can mm -hmm. do a little bit of property damage you can't you know um uh uh rape anybody but you know if you happen to have sex with your not. girlfriend behind the barn nobody's gonna say oh that's not okay on halloween because this is there's just a little more a little leniency uh, yeah hmm. exactly and I, you know and so all festivals have that yeah. element to it um, and, and, and especially in smaller societies, you, you know, you, you, you're not talking about people who are hiding from one another so much as they are performing a different identity, uh, for one another. And so then, you know, America being America, we adapted it and made it capitalism and everybody, um, uh, you know, dresses their kids up where you see it interesting to me in America sort of start to shift back to the more traditional forms. Um, this is less true than it used to be, but in, in the 90s at least, you, there were a number of um, uh, places in, in large cities where the LGBT community sort of gathered and took over. Um, so it happened in West Hollywood, it would happen in, in the Castro, uh, in San Francisco. Um, and, and then you saw real, you know, again, real transgression where hmm. people are behaving um, in ways that you wouldn't see them do so normally. Um, so they were, you're saying they were behaving negative, negatively? Not negatively, but they were, you know, they were like, you know, you would see a lot of cross-dressing, for example, you would see uh, okay. so a they lot were, of, you know, so they, they were, they public. were publicly claiming a space sure. and, and then performing in a way. space in a way that was sort of over and above, uh, you know, the sort of normal uh, way that people behave. And then, you know, the next morning, it, it's gone. I mean, it's Mardi Gras, it's the same thing, right? Um, that lasted for a while, but then um, it, it, it became a bit of a zoo, right? Where people would go there and watch rather than participate. And so that in turn sort of typically will make something like that die out. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, that's true of a lot of urban traditions because the, the because the urban experience is, is so transitional, people move in and out and they don't, 
you know, they don't stay. And so you, uh, you don't necessarily get the same people every year. Whereas if you're in a smaller town, um, you're, you will see more consistency uh, uh, in terms of how people behave. And that, that's one of the key pieces of folklore, right? Because it's, it's any shared creative tradition um, between at least two people, though it's usually more than two people, um, and so in order for there to be a shared creative tradition, you have to have the same, you have to have a shared tradition mm, sure. at the baseline, right? Mm. Um, and, and you can't learn it, you can't learn it exclusively through the media, um, because if you learn it exclusively through the media, then it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's popular culture. Popular culture is interesting, but it's not, it, it's not in and of itself uh creative you you know the the folklore is the response to the thing um yeah so. it's, all, it's, uh, it's so how things went viral back in the old days right yeah exactly uh, exactly but then does it stay important right yeah. is oh, is it, it is it something and that i mean that's the other piece that's really worth thinking about with how halloween which is what pieces of it have we kept because they say something about us right so the 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 going door to door is still there the costuming is still there um there are definitely traditions in various places of you know uh, young adults especially having halloween parties and behaving badly they don't not going to go yeah, uh, in costume, right? Um, they're not going to go house to house. So there's there's this sort of you know where where can you transgress and where can you not transgress? And so um, there's definitely still a transgressive element to Halloween, but it typically isn't outward facing in the contemporary U.S. It's it's inward facing, right? So you can have a big gnarly Halloween party, um, mm -hmm. but uh, you know. The, the the kids are the ones who are going door to door and it's not really transgressive right it's just what they do sure. um, what about these other sort of uh halloween myths or um well not maybe they're linked to halloween right like of, of course you think of halloween you think of you think of witches for example mm -hmm. so i'm sure you you have some thoughts on on witch hunts and uh of course the salem witch trials are yeah no the, the salem is a really interesting phenomenon right because um by the way so just to do a quick uh, uh definition thing so there are th essentially three genres of of folk narrative there's myth legend and folktale hmm. Um, and so they each have their own definition. So we're actually talking here mostly about legends, not myths, um, though there are some folk tales mixed in here. So a legend is a story that somebody tells that they believe has some truth to it, but doesn't necessarily have a, a you know, a, a deep cosmological or religious meaning. Mm. Whereas a myth is something that somebody believes with their soul and they believe this true, um, but is potentially not provable historically. So- Like Athena popping out of Zeus's head. Yeah, popping out of Zeus's head versus say um, King Arthur, right? King Arthur's a legend. 
So we're mostly talking about legends here. Um, folk tales are, are, you know, w- what you think they are, right? They're, they're, they're stories designed to, to um, they're set in no time and no place sort of, and, you know, they're designed to, to, enforce some sort of cultural um, belief and norm system on the listener, but they're not, nobody's, nobody thinks that Little Red Riding Hood was real. Right. right. Or, or do or Ichabod Crane, do people feel Or Ichabod like Crane, right. Um, but, but Ichabod Crane uses legendary tropes um, to, to play around with um, uh, uh, you know, making it more centered. I mean, you know, the 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 fact that it's always set in, um, you know, the colonial period. That it's you know that it's uh, um, um, that there involves horses. You know, I mean, it's got it has it has a it has a, a grounding to it that you don't always see in in other folk tales. But anyway, um, so. The Salem phenomenon is fascinating, right? Because, I mean, throughout the um, 17th, 18th, and early 19th centuries, uh, there were all kinds of accusations of witchcraft uh, throughout New England. It was much more prevalent in New England than it was in the rest of the Why United was that? Uh, because of the Puritans. So um, the, 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 um, the form of Protestantism that dominated uh, New England, um, and it was definitely found in other parts of the uh, country as well, um, was based on um, the, the notion of, of, of predestination. Mm-hmm. And the basic idea was when you were born, you were either damned or you were saved. Well, um, and there and there wasn't anything you could do about it who, but who who had who made the call god <laughs> and your parents or like they told you no so th- so this is the key piece right so in order to show that you were likely saved you were supposed to behave in certain ways okay right but then you have this sort of you know okay so let's say i'm a, a good person who does all the right things. Um, and, and so it seems like I'm probably, you know, I go to church and I wear the kerchief and I do all the stuff that women in the 18th century are supposed to do. And, um, and yet every once in a while I do something a little out there. Right. I mean, like, like, you know, I mean, it could be as simple as taking the kerchief off the head. I oh, mean, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be particularly. But if I'm especially if I'm a widow mm-hmm. or an unmarried woman, so somebody who's not sort of fitting into the right structures of society, then I become suspect. And if I'm suspect, then there's this notion of well, wait, maybe the good behavior isn't real. It's just a put on. And that in fact, there's some evil behind it. And it's not just that they're damned, but that they're plugged into everybody (laughs) else's damnation. Well, and it was only men making these accusations or were women making them too? 
both both but it but it was mostly one of the things that's interesting about salem is that that men were accused Um, most of the time uh i mean it was mostly women but there were some men um most of the time it was just women who were accused Mm. um and you know no question that part of that was about uh how do you control uh, uh you know the the in a in a tiered um patriarchal system how do you control what's usually a little more than half the population and and if you can do it through belief and fright then you know then that's a that's a good thing and if it has the sort of threat of violence behind it all the better near violence yeah um so that you know that's that's where that whole uh worry about witches comes from what's so interesting about salem i mean clearly there was there was a a historical moment where that you know things went really sideways and people started accusing each other and 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 that you know you do get into sort of small group hysteria Um, that can cause that kind of phenomenon. But since then, what what has happened is that Salem has sort of continued to um, reverberate with that, those dead people and those stories. And because New England is the part of the United States that has that depth of history, um, uh, you know, I mean, you go to a place like Phoenix and, you know, the oldest thing's 60 years old, but, but, you know, in, in New England, you've got stuff that's, that's 400 years old. And, um, and so then it starts becoming a place that is attractive to people who are interested in the, the sort of under, girding phenomena right so i mean and you see this all over the place there 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 are places in the world where something happened or is reported to have happened that then become uh, a, a locus for everybody to sort of go there and see what they can explore so um Salem is one of those places, right? Um, And so what's been interesting in the last, I'd say, 20 years is that Salem has sort of decided, well, we're going to just own this. Lean into it. And and so they've created this whole sort of rich tourist thing around it. But then there's also a very strong um, uh, vein of people who live near or want to live near Salem because they feel like they're in contact with the the older real um the dead witchcraft people? that was that was oh, happening witchcraft oh well this is it this is this is juicy now so how yeah. do they feel there they just feel a strong connection to this yeah. form of witchcraft yeah. yeah and and you know not wrongly there is a sense that that witchcraft is about power that women have um, that men don't understand. Um, and so, you know, it's, there are sometimes accusations of male witches, but for the most part, it's females. And, um, and they're often crones, right? So women who are, who are 
past reproductive age. And, you know, if the social structure is set up where the main focus uh, of women as a, as a, as a gender is to reproduce, mm-hmm. um, once you get past the ability to reproduce, then what use are you, except for that we're not gonna kill you, except for we're kind of scared of you. And if you don't have a husband, then we're really scared of you. And, you know, and so um, that's that's sort of, that's where all of that comes from. But then it's been really, um, I think, taken back in a powerful way by a lot of, of, you know, women who are coming at that set of, um, beliefs from a feminist perspective, from a neo-pagan perspective, that you know, where they're trying to actually reclaim the power rather than having it be, you know, the old hag with the wart on her nose. Yeah, how did that come? I mean, like the green and the warts and the riding the broomsticks. Where did all that BS come from? That's yeah. I mean, it's it's it, you're you. The, the green thing comes from Disney, but the, the wart and the, um, the wart and the broomstick and the cauldron and all that stuff is, it, you know, those are all tools of women's domesticity that have now been corrupted theoretically by these witches to, to harm people. So, yeah, I mean, it, the, the iconography is very clearly about, well, you know, if I'm scared of this woman, I guess I should be scared of her broom <laughs> and her, and, and I mean, really, that's, that's what, I mean, that when is, you think I about it, thought about that, but it is, but it is what's scary about a broom. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing scary about a broom. There's nothing scary about a big black pot. Everybody, everybody in pre 19th century America had a big black pot, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they didn't put kids in the big black pot. They put, you know, oh boar and turkeys in the big black pot but you know but it's it's women's domain um and so that's this that's the scary uh the scary thing so many of these so many of these stories are the result of insecure dudes elizabeth oh yeah 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 just (laughs) well but i mean it's some of them too are just about our own insecurities right i mean we worry about the we worry about the dead um uh, you know, I mean, this whole obsession everybody's got right now with zombies, you know, it's, it's that was on my list to talk about too. zombies is is all the, um, the, the, the those same uh, worries. I'll tell you this great um, uh, piece that I've always really liked. So there's a, a culture group who live in um, Papua New Guinea who believe that um, the soul uh, is is in the flesh of the body and they're ancestor worshipers. Um, And so when somebody dies, what they do is they they take them to a nearby facility and and then they leave them essentially to, to decompose. And the idea is that as they decompose, the soul is released and then it becomes a, a, a force for good for the family. Um, And, you know, at a certain point, they even will sometimes, um, once the body's almost completely decomposed, they'll, they'll sometimes make rice that they put some of the bones in. And the idea then is that you're taking a little piece of your ancestor's soul into yourself, right? Wow. Um, Okay, so 
from a Western perspective, that's all kind of gross, right? Because we, we don't leave our bodies out to rot. We certainly don't eat rice made from, you know, human bone certainly soup. Um, so, you know, but as a belief system is complete, it makes perfect sense, right? It's completely coherent. So these people, when they first encountered Westerners, were like totally, totally freaked out when they found out about our funerary traditions because we do exactly the opposite right we right. we we don't do it as much in, anymore but at least in the early part of the 20th century we took all the fluids out of the body and replaced them with you know uh embalming fluid so that the body stayed as whole as it could for as long as it could and these folks think that what we done by doing that is that we've trapped the souls of our ancestors into their bodies and that um, like is not uh, all those ancestors have now risen up from the dead they're zombies oh, God. and um, and they're just walking around among us right oh. you can't tell the difference between a live human uh, a live western human and a zombie western human and so they you don't trust can't. any any I of agree. us Right, right. Um, and they, they are so much more horrified by us than we are by them. I mean, they just think we have just totally lost the plot that you- We you, have. Yeah, exactly, exactly, so. My gosh, I now you've got me thinking, I wonder if there are real real zombies out there. Right, right. right. I've definitely seen some, some strange, mm -hmm. some strange folk, mm -hmm. I'll tell you. Yep. Unbelievable. Um, wow. That's, that's, that's unreal. I know we only have a few minutes left, Elizabeth. Um, I want, so if, if you haven't listened to my podcast before, I do this thing at the end where I do, it's called a creature feature. And I, okay. and usually like I, I profile some sort of ant bird or animal or something. So I thought I should ask you, you know, what is the sort of for like Halloween and folklore, what is sort of the quintessential creature we should profile? And I want to hear from you a little bit about it, about the folklore behind it, whatever it may be. I have a few birds or animals in mind that I would think for Halloween would be, uh, would be classic, but I'm curious what your perspective would be on it. Well, I mean, certainly uh, any animal that is, you know, associated with, death or with um uh um you know bad omens right so you can think of any number of of corvids uh you know ravens and and uh crows and, and, and the like um all of whom have you know associations with um foreboding um and it's not just because they're black it's also because they um the, they gather and they talk to each other and 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 they i mean they do communicate they're also absolutely smart birds and so, um i don't know if you've noticed i have i've seen just recent maybe it's because of the time of year i don't know but i've just seen so many more mm -hmm. murders of crows yeah gathering. yeah and people, again, you think about an agricultural or, or you know, a pre-industrial economy, um, there were as many of those, if not more, and they, they're so smart that they actually, they remember people 
right? So if you do something negative to one of them, it, it, it knows who you are and will. <laughs> that, is, that is freaky. You know, yeah, no, it is. It is freaky. And, th and they, they all do it. By the way. So, I mean, never cross a Corvid. If, if a Blue Jay is stealing something of yours, just let it have it. <laughs> um, because they, 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 have they remember. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, their, because of their volubility, you know, they make a lot of noise, and, you know, they're these big black, you know, scary looking things. They're, they're definitely um, uh, way up there, I think, in, in, uh, um, in your Halloween pantheon. Um, you know, you could also go to any uh, of, of, you know, your sort of big legendary um, uh, creatures are, are going to be more likely to, to pop up around this time. So whether you're talking about you know, Bigfoot or, you know, one of those, one of those sort of pseudo animal uh, where that the, because the season's changing and because the woods look different and, you know, that, that that's another piece that, uh, that you're going to see. Hmm. What about, uh, uh, what about like coyotes, the howling of coyotes? Coyotes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to, uh, you know, I would actually, go with wolves over coyotes werewolves um, yeah i mean i know there aren't any wolves left in the east but but the the wolves have always been scarier to people um than than uh coyotes have been and and rightly so um uh certainly any um dark colored large cat would also be something you wouldn't want to mess with. Um, we typically don't have many of those in the United States, um, but in uh, in other parts of the world where you do see dark-colored large cats, there you know you, you know you don't. I mean that this we we've we've actually taken it down so that we worry about small black cats, right? Right. Um, and uh, and so you know imagine if you lived in a place that had large black cats, that would be even worse even scarier yeah yeah wow. the black pet thing is fascinating by the way so you know that's obviously we associate black with death and you know um but uh you if you go to a shelter both dogs and cats the black ones get adopted last um uh, and and a lot of it is because of our our sort of ingrained worry about um whether or not there's uh uh, something off about them. Well, at least the witches will take care of them. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Elizabeth, this has been super fun. Thanks. Love hearing about the Halloween folklore. More to come with legendary animals. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be fun. <laughs>